We are uh, working our way through the book of James. If it's your first week here with us um, or not, we're glad you're here. And, and, uh, and it's a kind of a, a standalone week, it, it, even though it's in the book of James. If this is your first week, you won't be too lost. I think some of the stuff we're going to get into is stuff that relates uh, to anybody who's trying to seek out God. And if you want to look with me, you can. It'll be James 4 on your Bible or your phone or whatever you have it on, and then I'll have it on the screen here too. I was talking to a friend of mine. And he has a friend named Craig, and Craig is 54 years old, and he, he got his first traffic violation ever in his whole life about three, two or three months ago. And, uh, and that's pretty impressive all by itself. I've had several traffic violations, and, and, uh, but it's his first one. And where he got the violation, uh, you have to go to court. There's no sending the money in. There's no, there's no easy way to do it. You've got to go to court. So he, uh, he went to court on his day, and he wasn't really paying attention. If you've never done that before, um, uh, when you go you, your time at court, you basically sit, and, but you may not be the first guy. The judge will go through his list of things, and eventually he'll get to you, and then you wait. So he has his phone, and he's doing some work on the phone. And he's playing some games, and he's playing around on the phone, too. He's just hanging out. He's not really totally paying attention to what everybody else is saying, but he overhears some of it. Uh, one guy gets up, and he's real mad. He goes, no, that light was yellow, Your Honor. That light was yellow, and the big fight there. And another guy gets up and says, you know, the speed limit changed. It, it dropped, like, 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 and the guy was sitting right at the sign, and I was slowing down, and, and, and he, just, he got me because he was right at the sign. You know, I didn't have a chance to adjust. And, and, uh, and, and one after another, the guys got up, and they all had a reason uh, why they weren't really guilty. And, and, uh, and then it was Craig's turn. And the judge called him up, and uh, what it was was uh, he had uh, expired tags. You know, to get your first violation at 54, and it's expired tags. That just feels, you know, you ought to be speeding or something. And in fact, when he got pulled over, he can't believe it. Like, I, I know I'm doing the speed limit. I can't believe I'm getting pulled over. You got expired tags. It's like, oh, because he remembered, he remembered getting the thing in the mail. He got an email about it, too. He remembered getting all that stuff, and he just didn't do it. He put it aside. I'll get to it, but he's real busy, and he forgot. And now I'm in court, and all these guys have been going through one after another, and the judge says, okay, Craig. And the judge didn't even look up at him. He's uh, looking at his papers like he's going through. Okay, Craig, what you got to say for yourself? And Craig says, uh, I, I was wrong. I'm an idiot. I, I got the paper. I just forgot. I'm guilty. And the judge looks up. So would you say that again? I'm guilty. He said, no, the other part. I was wrong. No, the part in the middle. I'm an idiot. Yeah, that part. He says, say, <laughs> say that again. I'm, I'm an idiot. And uh, now say the whole thing again. He said, I was wrong. I'm an idiot. I got the email. I forgot. I'm guilty. He goes, I can't have you corrupting all these, these good people. You're the first one I've talked to who's been bad today. Won't you case dismissed? Get out of my courtroom. And he, and he left. <laughs> Didn't have to pay anything. And uh, it's supposed to be a true story. My friend said it's a true story. I don't know Craig, but, uh, but that was an interesting story because of that notion that, that uh, it's just so hard to admit it, right? It's just so hard to admit that it was you. That, yeah, I did it. I don't know what I was thinking. I was an idiot. I, I, should, I knew better. I don't know why I did it. I have no excuse. It's just so hard to do that, right? I mean, whenever you're, 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 you're caught doing anything wrong, it's very easy to have an excuse. Why, why, why didn't you do that? Well, I was going to, but this other thing. Well, I was going to, but I forgot. Well, I was going to, and this other person interrupted. It's always somebody else's fault, or at least partly somebody else's fault. And it's hard just to admit, you know, when you do it. And that, that act of confession, of just being honest, that it was me. I'm an idiot. I, I forgot. I, I'm, 
I'm sorry, I was wrong, I'm guilty. There's something powerful. So we, it's one of the reasons we make children do it. What do you say to your brother? I'm sorry. He's not sorry, right? But you make him say it because there's something powerful about saying it. You know, as, just as a, as a food for thought more than anything else, if, if someone who had hurt you really bad in your life, which you can imagine right now, someone who really took advantage or said something awful or, or did something, stole something, somehow hurt you or, or hurt your family, and, and this afternoon uh, when you got back from church that they are sitting on your doorstep, that person sitting there, and when you get up, they've got tears and their eyes are kind of moist. And it's like, like I, I've been, I just was made aware of it and I've, I've, been, I've been sleepless all weekend long. I was wrong. It was all me. I'm an idiot. I, I, I'm so guilty of this. Well, I mean, you can imagine how that would feel, right? I mean, it, it, to have somebody who hurts you say it, I mean, you, you, you might be suspicious. Do they really mean it? Do they, are they really saying it? But there's something about just saying it that's so powerful. And uh, Alcoholics Anonymous knows that uh, uh, in the 12 steps. They ask you, think about people who you've hurt or taken advantage of and, and make restitution, make it right. Don't just say you're sorry, but see if there's anything you can do to make it right. Because they understand that for the addict, for the person who is covering their pain with alcohol or with drug addiction or something else, for the addict, you've got to get rid of that guilt. You know, an Alcoholics Anonymous is not necessarily a Christian organization. It, it's, it has some Christian principles, but, 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 but that's one of the Christian principles, that when you're carrying that load of guilt, when you're carrying that load of, of whatever, you need to clear that off your account. You can't hold on to that. You need to get that off your account so that you can be healthy, so that you can be whole, so that you can finally be who you're supposed to be. For God, too, part of faith is going to God and, and where you have went sideways with God, admitting that, and just telling God, I've tried to run this myself. I've tried to go my own direction. Part of being a Christian, part of being a Christian is recognizing that God knows how to live your life better than you do. We're always afraid, or not always, but a lot of people are afraid when, when they become a Christian. Well, I don't want to have to give this up, or I'm not sure I can give that up, or I'm not sure if I can change on this thing or that thing. But what God is prescribing is the very best way for you to live. His ways are better than your ways. His ways are smarter than your ways. And He knows how to live your life better than you do. And it takes a lot of faith sometimes to trust that to be true. It takes a lot of faith sometimes to, to, to believe that that is right. But it is right. And when you get off track, and everybody gets off track, to go back to God and say, God, I need to clear the account. I, 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 I was wrong. I'm an idiot. I, I knew better. I'm guilty. When I uh, first became a Christian, they would talk about, the old-time preachers would talk about five things you're supposed to do. You, you, you believe, and you repent, and you confess, and you're baptized, and, and, uh, and then you walk the walk, right? You live the Christian life. You Believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and, and then walk the walk. But the confession was a big part of that. We knew that to become a Christian, part of what you did was to go to God and just admit that you needed a Savior. Just admit that, God, I, I need you to come in and, and clean my heart. I can't do it myself. And so full disclosure, so there's no bait and switch here about this thing. What I'm hoping to do with this sermon is to, to go through this uh, deal to explain from James the importance of this thing. But at the end of me talking in about 20 minutes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to, to do that. You know, full disclosure, at the end of me talking, I'm going to challenge you to do that with God. 
to say, God, I, I was wrong. I'm an idiot. It was all me. And, and, and hand it to him. And I'll have some guys in front who can pray with you if you want to do that. This, this area in the front is open if you want to pray on the stairs here and just pray uh, to, to just ask God to move. Certainly you can turn to the people beside you while we're singing and not singing and just, and just pray together. But, 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 but really do it, you know. And there's something powerful about saying it out loud. That's why we have people up here to pray with you or, or to turn to your who you're with there and pray with them. There's something powerful about it. And, 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 and not even you're going to have this competing voice in your head saying, oh, no, that's going to, you're going to look foolish if you do that. But there's some salvation in foolishness. And I'm going to tell you, too, to, for, for the men here, to, 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 to turn to your wife and say, I just need to pray. Or if, even to turn to your kid and say, I'm going to need to pray. It's not going to make you look nearly as weak as you think it might. For whatever that's worth. So, James. We've been going through James for the last few weeks. James has the whole book been talking about double-mindedness. Double-mindedness in his mind is when you say that you want Christian things, but then you do something else. He says in chapter 1, you pray, but you don't really believe. He says you're hearers of the word, but you don't really do it. In chapter 2, he says uh, you have faith, but there's no work behind it. It doesn't show. In chapter 3, you've got a wisdom, but it's not the wisdom that God endorses. You've got something that you believe in, but it's not what God says we're supposed to do. And he says you need to turn back to God, 100% devoted to God. That's the secret. If, if you really want to experience the presence of God, if you really want to know his power in your life, then you've got to turn all the way back to God. You can't give God 50% or 70% or even 90%. You've got to give it all to him. That's the secret. And so, and so we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. Now we're in chapter 4, and um, this kind of fried out on me, first service. So we're hoping for big things, second service. He says, what, cause, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from the desires? that battle within you. Okay, so, so his first point is most of the source of the, the tension that we go through is me. Most of the source of the tension that I go through is, is me, like a chemical reaction in my heart. There's all these different desires in me. One of my desires is to, is to know God and to be in his presence, but I've got all these other desires in me that are pushing me different directions. And some of these other desires are making me kind of combustible. If you can think of a chemical experiment, you think about people being in a, uh, uh, most of crimes, most uh, murders and violent acts are, are done between people who knew each other ahead of time. In fact, if there was a murder, the police usually will talk to the family and the, and the close friends first. Because normally that's, that's the culprits, which seems weird if you think about it for very long. Uh, that, 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 that you, you know, the people who we love, who were around, why would we be attacking them? But this verse says, you're combustible all the time all by yourself. And so you're going to bounce into people now and again, and the people most likely to receive it are going to be the ones around you. You think they're the problem. If you weren't just surrounded by knuckleheads, you'd be a better person. But you're the knucklehead. You're the, you're the problem. That's what James says. Don't, what causes these fights? Isn't it you, he says? he says? He says you desire and you don't have, so you kill. And there's some debate on that, whether he's talking literal kill or, or, or metaphorical kill. He never really changed, he never softens it, so he could mean kill. And, and murder was even more common in the ancient world than it is today. There were no DNA investigations. I mean, you could get away with it a little easier than you could today. And so, and so he could be talking about that, fights that have broken out so badly it got violent. He could be. 
Or he could be talking like Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount and says, you hate them. The killing is you hate them in your heart. And you would kill them if you could. You would kill them if you thought you'd get away with it. You hate them bad enough to do it. So you desire, you don't get, so now you're, you're killing. He says you, you covet and you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And you don't have because you don't ask God. But when you do ask, he says, you still don't get because you're asking with the wrong motives. So you can spend on what, what your pleasures are. God, he says, you're not getting because you don't pray enough. And even when you do pray, you're not getting because God's not going to give you something that's going to take you away from him. Whatever God gives you is going to bring you back to him. He's not going to give you something that takes you further away. Now, all this is interesting to me, and I think it's all worth thinking about. Um, James says we argue and we fight. It's worth thinking about if you're a person who argues and fights, especially if, if you can think of several arguments and fights that you're part of right now, different people that you've got a little war going on with, people in your, in your family or in your work or at your church or, or in your neighborhood. Some of us have neighbors that we, we just kind of got a little battle going on across the fence there, and, and you've got this battle going on, somebody who kind of treated you wrong on work things, or it could be anything. You've got this ongoing little feud and quarrel going on. It's worth thinking about, well, where are my motives on this? Am I, am I after God's best or am I after my own gain, my own pleasure, my own desire, my own? And there's some tests for that. You certainly should pray about it real hard. You certainly should ask God, God, I mean, help me see my motives. Is this the kind of thing I should let go? Is this the kind of thing I need to fight for? And the big test, of course, is it for God's glory or for yours? Is it for God's profit, or is it for yours? You won't need to have God tell you to take another piece of cake, right? I mean, you'll come to that conclusion all by yourself. You won't need God to tell you uh, to, to, to make more money. Uh, I get suspicious of preachers who do that. I feel like God's called me to go to the bigger church that pays more money. Really, God did that. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm a little skeptical uh, that you need God to help you with that decision, Right? The issue is, what would God call you to? Well, he would call you to something for his glory. What's going to bless him? What's going to make him look great? What's going to make him bigger? He says, all these things you think you want, you ask and you don't get, our motives get all screwed up on this stuff. And sometimes the things we're asking for, we think are going to give us something that it just can't deliver. Now, stay with me here on this, because this is kind of important. I'm going to come back to it later on. He, he says, he says you, you ask and you don't get because it's the wrong motive. You know, some people think that if they could just, I, I, there's a John Ortberg story where he talks about taking his little girl to McDonald's, and the girl says, uh, Daddy, if, give me a Happy Meal. And he says, no, we're not getting you a Happy Meal. You never eat all of it, and uh, I'll just get you a cheeseburger. You'll be fine. No, Daddy, I want the Happy Meal because it has a little plastic toy. And, has a little, and no, it's silly. Not, you don't eat it all. We're just going to get a little. He goes, she goes, no, give me this. I'll never ask for anything ever again, she says. So he says, that's what I got it for her. And it worked. She never asked for anything again. That Happy Meal made her happy the rest of her life. She never, ever wanted for anything. Well, of course, you know that's not true, Right? So as you get the Happy Meal, you think, you think, well, it's still McDonald's, right? I mean, it's still, I mean, at the end of getting the Happy Meal, it's still a cheeseburger. It's not going to last. Only a child would think that one little change like that would make permanent moves. But sometimes we do that. We think, if I just got this promotion, if I just get the house fixed up, or if we just get to this point in our lives, if we can just get this thing done, 
Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be at peace. Then everything will be fine. And, and what you're doing in all of those things is asking something that's not God to fill a hole that only God can fill. Only God and God's presence are going to give you joy. Only God and God's presence will give you real peace and a sense of wholeness. It takes God to do God-sized things. And whenever you hope that something else will do it, whatever that something else is, um, it's not going to make it. it. It just can't. It doesn't mean you can't want those things. It's just when you hope those, most people don't want to the promotion just for the promotion. They want the promotion because they think they'll get respect then. Then people will notice me. Then mom and dad will be proud. Then I'll finally made something of myself. And all of those things, they're too big for stuff to fill. They're God-sized problems, James says. You need to ask God to take care of those kinds of things because only God can do it. He goes on, and his language here is real rough, even, even by James' standards. He says, you adulterous people, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity to God? And again, probably they didn't know that. And maybe you don't know that. So let's make sure we know what James is saying here. He's saying, he's saying you adulterous people, friendship with the world. Now, when the Bible says the world, it can mean three different things. And so context matters here, right? Sometimes when the Bible says the world, it means the globe, the, 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 the world we're standing on, the earth, Right? Sometimes when the Bible says the world, it means the people of the world. It's neither good nor bad, just the people. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And, 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 uh, and that's not a bad thing either. But that's not how James is using it either. What James is using here with the world is the culture of the world, and it represents cheating, adultery kind of, with God. It's the culture of this world that forgets that God is there, pretends like he's not there that seeks to find a joy and contentment and, and happiness anywhere else but God. It, it's, it's the greed and the lust and the pride and the anger that is so prevalent in every part of this world. It, it's the celebration of you and whatever you want and whatever you think is best because we don't know what's best for ourselves. Part of being a Christian is recognizing that God knows what's best for me and that God knows what's best for me even more than I know for myself. And so he's saying, he's saying, don't you realize that when you allow yourself to seek after those kinds of things and you forget that God's there, it robs you of the power of God. There are Christians, even in this room, who wonder if prayer does any good because when they pray, they don't ever feel anything. There are Christians, even in this room, who, who don't get much out of their Bibles at all. The Bible stories all make them kind of flat. They don't really relate. There are Christians, even in this room, who have a hard time with worship, have a hard time with, with singing or, or thinking about God at all. They're just kind of coasting. They wonder why they don't feel it anymore. They wonder why they don't have any of God's power in their life. They wonder why those things aren't there. Well, this is the reason. This is always the reason. It's because you're seeking to fill that part of your life with things besides God. And um, sooner or later, he quits listening. I don't know who needs to hear this today. There's a myth about God uh, that gets told sometimes, but it's not in the Bible. The myth is that God always hears your prayers. And the Bible says that he won't. It actually says it a lot of places, but Isaiah 59, 
Verse 2 is a good one. It says, it says because of your sin, you don't want what I want, God says. So I'm not going to listen to your prayers. You, you want something different than me. God's not going to force himself into your life. If you, you don't want it. So I'm not listening anymore. There's a, a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Samson. And you've heard this story. Uh, Samson was born and to his mother and dad, uh, even in her pregnancy, she's told, you can't drink any wine, you can't be around dead things. And when Samson's born, he can't drink any wine, and he can't be around dead things, and he can't cut his hair. And that's how I'm, that, that, that will set him apart, and God says, I'm going to bless him if he'll do those things. And so Samson, almost from the time he's, well, from the time he's born, he's just crazy strong. Just crazy strong, crazy athletic, can do things that no one else can do, and, and it's all because of this power that God's put on him. The Philistines, their big enemies, can't figure out where the power comes from. And Samson knows it comes from God, but he's kind of loose on the commandments. God says, don't drink, but Samson drinks a lot. God says to Samson, don't drink. God says to Samson, don't be around dead things. One of the most famous stories about Samson is him grabbing a jawbone of a donkey and killing a bunch of people with it. He's with dead things. He, he actually eats honey or the, the bee's nest is in a dead lion. It's kind of a gross story. But, he, but again, the dead, he's, he's around dead things. He kind of ignores God on everything, and God keeps blessing him. God keeps blessing him. Even though he's ignoring God, God keeps blessing him. Samson has one big weakness, too. He's constantly with the wrong kind of women, uh, women who do not share the values he has, who do not share God-centered anything, and, and, and he's constantly compromising himself, and he's making mistakes, and he's just one bad relationship after another. And, and, and he finally is with a woman named Delilah, and that name uh, became kind of a villain name in the Bible. And, and, so, and so the Philistines go to Delilah, say, hey, if you can figure out what's going on, we'll, uh, we'll give you a bunch of money. We don't need to know why he's so strong. So she asks him, why are you so strong? And he lies to her. Well, if you tied me up with bowstrings, I wouldn't be able to do anything. And so he wakes up with bowstrings. He's tied, breaks them loose. Well, if you put my hair in a, in a loom and weaved it together like a rug, well, then I'd just be powerless. And, it's, and wakes up, his hair's in a rug. This would be like, this would be like you telling your girlfriend, hey, if I eat watermelon, I'm, uh, I'm going to break out in an allergic rash. And you fall asleep and you wake up covered in watermelon. You know, there's, it wouldn't just happen, right? I mean, it's, it's obvious she's trying to kill you, right? And, and so it would seem like to most people, either you find a new girlfriend That'd be the first thing. Or uh, uh, you wouldn't go to sleep if you're going to be at her house. I mean, you'd make sure you stay awake. But, but he just, he, he loves her so much, and he's so transfixed by her. He just, and I think somehow, I think he's convinced himself, it doesn't matter. God will forgive me. God always forgives me. And so finally he tells her. What it, he tells her the truth. Cut my hair, and that's it. And he has to know that when he wakes up, he'll be bald. He, I mean, he has to know that's what's going to happen because that's what always has happened. So he falls asleep and he wakes up and his hair's gone. And then there's this one little verse. It says, the Lord had left him, but he didn't know it. I think there's a lot of Christians for whom that verse could apply. The Lord has left her, but she didn't know it. The Lord has left him, but he didn't know it. God will forgive me. That's what he does. And you just kind of keep cheating. You just kind of keep running your own direction, making everything else a priority but God, and assuming that God will just put up with it. He says, do you think the scripture says without reason that 
that, the, that God jealously longs for the Spirit in us? I mean, he's jealous for us like a relationship is jealous. He says, I, 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 I want to be with you, but I'm not going to share you. You know, when I asked Julia to marry her, if I had asked her to marry me, but I want weekends off, she probably would have said no, right? I'll marry you, but only on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, because she's worth more than that. And she knows she's worth more than that. How much more does the God of heaven know he's worth more than that? So do you want it or not? Now, this presents a conundrum for us here. This presents a problem if we're being honest with ourselves. Because we know, if you think about it very long at all, that, that there's some gaps here. So what am I going to do, God? Well, it says he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. I mean, we need it. We realize that we're in trouble, and so he gives us more grace. This is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he'll give favor. He'll give grace to the humble. So ask God. Come to God. Ask God. God take my heart. God, take my, my soul, my spirit. I, I want it all to be yours. I want to live in your presence. I, I want to know what it is to have you be the Lord of my life. I, I want it all to be yours, right? I don't want to be half in and half out. The, the, just enough Christian to be inoculated from it. I, 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 I want to be completely yours, Hot or cold, but this, this lukewarm I, I'm not interested in anymore. And the path is, is humility. Now, Rick Warren, there's a quote that he's kind of famous for. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. If you're naturally athletic, you don't have to pretend like you're not. If you're naturally a good singer or naturally an attractive person, you don't have to pretend like you're not. You know, um, you make a really good meal. This is delicious. Oh, no, it's not fit to eat. No, it's really good. No, it's crap. Don't eat that. Well, no, I mean, that's not helping, right? If you're, if you're naturally good, you can be naturally good, and that's okay to admit that. That's, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just, it's just thinking about yourself less. C.S. Lewis, when he talks about this same notion in the book Mere Christianity, he says a really humble person uh, doesn't talk about themselves at all. They're not saying, I'm nobody, I'm nothing. They don't talk about themselves at all. If you were with a really humble person, uh, you might not notice that they were really humble because they just kept asking about you. They wanted to know about your life. They didn't feel like they had to get the last word. They didn't feel like they had to prove anything. You know, you were there bragging about something you did, and they didn't brag at all. I mean, it wasn't, now if you asked them, they'd be honest. They just, they just, they were, they were completely comfortable wherever they were. They didn't, they didn't worry how they were being judged. It's such a common thing to hear somebody like a, a, in a youth group thing, a teenager or, or some, a younger person say, I just don't feel at ease when I'm in this crowd or I don't feel like, and, and, and if you're a really humble person, th that's not your problem. You're not trying to impress anybody. A lot of the social anxiety, a lot of social anxiety, and I have that, so I'm not, this is not throwing stones at anybody. A lot of social anxiety is, is me being too worried how I'm coming across. And it's like this weird inverse part of pride. You know, I, if, if I'm not really impressing you every minute, I feel like I'm failing. And whoever said I had to impress anybody? That's just pride. And God opposes the proud, but he gives favor. He gives grace to the humble. 
C.S. Lewis, again, the same section in Mere Christianity. If anyone would like to acquire humility, the first step is to realize that you're proud. Nothing whatever can be done before. And if you think you're not conceited, that means you're very conceited indeed. Uh, Everybody struggles with this. So the first step is just admitting that, God, I can't do it myself. I need you to do it. I need you to fix it. One on this, uh, this notion, there's a, there's a weird verse in the Old Testament. It's in De- Deuteronomy. It says that Moses was the most humble man in the world. And why it's a weird verse is most guys think that Moses wrote Deuteronomy, which is a weird thing to write about yourself. I'm, Jeff was the most humble guy in the whole world. There's something about writing it that almost takes it away. So people wonder, did he write it or did somebody come back later and write it in there? But, but, but that notion, let's just, just take it for true, that Moses really was the most humble guy in the whole world. When you read about Moses' life, this was not a weak man. I mean, he's parting the Red Sea and he's doing all these miracles and he, he orders executions. He, he, he's, he's tough. He leads an army at different points. I mean, I mean he's, he's constantly barking at people to tell them where they need to go and what they need to do. This is not a pushover. He's humble because he has God's agendas first. He's not thinking of his own agenda. He's thinking of God. And when Moses makes, Moses makes a great sin towards the end of his life, the great sin is when he took his eyes off of God for a second and tried to push his own agenda for a moment. Jesus is called humble in the New Testament, but, but Jesus is not a weak man either. I mean, he constantly will get in little arguments with the Pharisees. He, he's not scared to have a fight. He throws tables around in the temple at least once and maybe twice, but he's humble because he has God's agendas first, not his own. I want what God wants, and I think about what God wants more than I think about what I want. Not your will, Jesus says, and not my own be done. Okay, let me finish up James here. I'm almost done. So he goes on. So James concludes, so submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Uh, James has mentioned devils and hell and demons uh, throughout the letter. You, you could, some Christians get real nervous and scared about what that could mean or what that could be about. James says he's a dog, but he's a dog on a chain. You resist him and he can't do anything. So you make the decision. You have more power here than you think. If, if you want to have a life covered by God, then resist that stuff. You have more control than you, than, you, than you believe. Do you really want to break from that stuff? It's possible. You come to God. And coming near to God is not just about saying, okay, I'm going to brush up a little bit on this thing. It's a full commitment, whatever God wants. And part of coming near to God is unloading your sin. It's unloading that stuff. It's, it's, it's handing that to him. Isaiah is a guy in the Old Testament. Isaiah is, is in a vision taken up to God's throne room. He's standing there. He sees God high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple, and there's seraphim and angels. And, and, and his reaction is not awe, and his reaction is not joy. His reaction is horror. He's horrified. He says, he says here I am standing here, and I can't even talk right. What he says is, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's standing there, and he's so aware that he said, I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible person. How can I be here in God's presence? And God makes an arrangement in that story to, to clean it. But that notion that when you're standing in front of God, when you're really coming into his presence, you become aware of your own breaks. Sometimes when I'm doing a construction project, I, I, I want to eyeball it. That looks pretty straight. And the people I'm working with say, no, 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 let's put a level on it. No, 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 let's make sure. 
And, and then when you put the level on, you see, well, it's not quite square. It's not quite level. It's not quite where it needs to be. When you're standing in front of God, you're going to be intensely aware of where you're not mashing up. One of the reasons sometimes that we kind of lightly look at our sin is because we're not coming into his presence. We're not taking ourselves all the way in. And so our sin looks trivial to us. But it won't look trivial when you're with him. Come near to God, he says. Make this decision. And then he has a whole bunch of repentance kind of language. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. You know, when a person comes to our church, we try, we think about it. How can we help you have a better experience when you're here? We, we, we think about things like the thing Rennie talked about. Do we need to do something different with the foyer? Do we, do we need to, to think about the, 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 somebody comes in early and makes sure it's clean and the air conditioning, and we hope the songs kind of lift your spirits. But, but that, that does not imply, I hope, to anybody that there's not a right time to feel guilty, that there's not a right time to feel conviction, right? When is the right time to feel guilty? When you are guilty, right? When you are the idiot, when you did do the wrong thing, when it was you. And that's what James is saying here. When you come near to God, if you start becoming aware that there's some things in there that, man, how could I be, what's going on? Well, you should feel bad about that. But again, know that he's got grace and know that he's not going to forget you and know that he's not going to give up on you. If you'll humble yourself before him, he'll lift you up. He'll bring you back. Sometimes I'll watch a preacher online or I'll, I'll read something some preacher is doing um, on something, and, and they're getting real angry about the culture we live in. They're real angry about um, some legislator who's voting on something different than they think they should, or they're real angry about the gay agenda or or abortion, or they're real angry about the youth and how the youth are going this bad direction, or they're real angry about whatever. And uh, I don't usually get angry about any of that stuff. And I used to feel kind of bad about that, that maybe it was a passion problem. It's a mojo problem for me. I need to be more angry about some of this stuff. But I've always seen it as brokenness. We, we try all of us, to fill this hole in us with everything but God. And only God can fill it. A person says, well, I don't feel comfortable in my, my own body. A person says, I, I just feel isolated all the time. A person says, I, I have this fantastic loneliness just weighed down by guilt. And they try a thousand different things to fix it. And none of it works because you're trying to fill something that's God-sized with things that aren't God. And I never have been able to get mad about that I, it, it's more heartbreaking than anything else. And if you're a Christian, you know the answer. We just don't always live it. 
And so now we're to the end of the service. I warned you we would get here. What I'm hoping for out of this moment is that if any of you need to lay anything down to God, this is your time. And I'll have some guys on the edges who will pray with you if you want to pray with them. And I'll create some space here on the front, in these front pews or, or on the aisle here if you just want to pray by yourself. If it, sometimes there's something powerful about coming to the front to pray. Um, we won't bother you if you want to pray. You can, you can do that. Um, you can uh, turn to the person beside you and pray with them. But tell them, let's pray. I mean, tell them, let's, let's pray. Pray for me. Ask them, pray for me. And you may scare somebody, depending on how you are, your relationship. You may have never done that before. And they're like, oh, God, help. Amen. And that'd be the whole prayer. And that's okay. That's a great prayer. That's a fantastic prayer. It's an amazing prayer. But, but use this time. If there's some things in your heart that you need to get right with God, then take advantage of this time. I'm going to pray with you, and I'll have the band come up while we're praying. So let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this group. And I pray, God, for courage. I pray, God, that you, you give them the courage to, to, um, to do what they need to do. That you give them the courage, God, to say what they need to say, to, to be who they need to be, and, and, Father, to get themselves right with you. God, if there's somebody here who's carrying a whole load of stuff and they don't want to carry it anymore, then give them the courage to, to trust you with it. And I pray, God, as we close up this service, that you move in a powerful way, that we feel your presence, that, Father, we get that part of you that, that does bring us joy and peace, and that, God, you make us whole. In Christ's name, amen. Mm-hmm.